Now, I had a dream not too long ago that someone shut down my TikTok account, if you can believe it. Now, when I woke up, it was a nightmare. I mean, it was a nightmare because for a moment, I actually thought I had a TikTok account, and that would have been a nightmare, right? And so, you know, no one likes nightmares. We're all scared, right, when we wake up from nightmares. I think that's why we all want 2020 to just be one huge nightmare. We want to wake up and it not be real, right? I mean, it's been a crazy year. We want to put it in our rearview mirror, drive as fast as we can, and never look back, right? It's been crazy. This whole year, whether it's the pandemic, the election cycle, social, civil unrest, it's created a lot of questions for your lives. I mean, for instance, I think we're all going and asking, is every new virus that comes down the pike going to shut our country down? Is it going to shut our city down, our state down? Uh, I mean, are we ever going to be able to like do uh, Thanksgiving, uh, you know, in freedom again? Uh, How's this going to affect our kids? Is all the free stuff going to cost us everything? I mean, there's a lot of questions for your lives that you're asking because we don't know how our lives will be in the future. And we're like, there's all these questions. It also creates a lot of questions for the church. Pastors all over are asking. There's tension, great stress among pastors. Uh, What's next for the church? I I mean, for instance, uh, is are are all the people who have not been back since COVID, and many, many, many people are are not here because of legit. I mean, you've got autoimmune deficiencies. You've got legit reasons. But there are some. It's like, okay, man, we hadn't been in a while. Well, we got out of that. Is everybody going to come back? I mean, that's a question that that people are asking. That pastors are asking. Is everyone going to come back? Is going to be a lag it is you know are our religious freedoms in jeopardy is it going to be illegal for me to preach the bible if for me preaching the bible will it be considered hate speech with uh, some new legislations and stuff that's coming down i mean there's a lot of questions is the church going to survive all of this i mean those are questions that are haunting to be quite honest a lot of pastors church leaders all over the world and we can ask a lot of questions about the church and many of them are legit but let me tell you what's not a legit question will the church survive that's not a legit question because we already have the answer to it it is promised in Matthew 16 and Matthew 16 Jesus is gathered with his disciples and as he is gathered with his disciples they're asking him they're they're talking and Jesus asks them some questions he says who do people say that I am They're answering him. Some say this, some say that. Then Jesus asks the most important question uh, you will ever be asked. He says, who do you say that I am? That's life's most important question for you because that question, in that question hangs all of eternity. It doesn't just hang, you know, the next several months and what's gonna happen in the future on this planet. All of your eternity hangs in the balance with how you answer that question. So Peter spoke up for the disciples and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, bravo, bingo, Peter, you got it. You got it. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. In other words, uh, this is not a human mind that can conceive this. It has to be brought by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus told the disciples. He gave us the answer to the question, will the church survive? And this answer should give great hope in this time. And I want to read it. It's in Matthew 16, 18. And it says this, and I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, you are Peter. And on this rock, not Peter, the rock of Peter's confession, that's what the church is built upon. Uh, the church is built of true believers in Jesus Christ, right? So upon his confession, I will build my church. It's Jesus's church. It's not my church. It's not the, church, the staff's church. It's not your church. It's Jesus's church. It's not my job to build his church. It's his job. He will build his church. And look at what he says. This is the hope for the future. 
and the gates of hell will not or shall not prevail against it. Folks, let me tell you something. My 401k might not survive 2020. My sanity is hanging by a thread. It might not survive 2020, but we don't have to worry about the church surviving. Jesus said nothing will come against and destroy his church. Nothing will take out the church of Jesus Christ. Not death, not hell, not COVID, not any crazy government around the world. Nothing will take out the church. Nothing, right? And so that should give us incredible hope in this world. Now, here's what I want you to understand. As we look at that, it gives hope. But I also want to point out a reality. It's not a blank check by Jesus to all churches. He didn't give backing to every church in existence, right? I mean, that doesn't mean every church who's ever, uh, that's ever started will last. No, he's talking about the church. He didn't say churches. Many churches will die. As a matter of fact, before we ever heard the word COVID, uh, before the 2020 election cycle and the civil and social unrest, before all the things of 2020 started happening, 3,700 churches closed their doors in America every year. That's 10 churches per day went out of business in America never to open again. Obviously, they were already on life support and COVID just accelerated the inevitable, okay? So the church will prevail, folks, but many churches won't. Churches that are paralyzed by fear of this day won't have many more days. But churches that are driven by that one day, they won't just survive, they will thrive. And what is that one day? Well, you saw it in the video. It's that one day that we have a picture of in the book of Revelation uh, from John. We just, we just covered uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. John's letters to the churches. We just covered those. John also wrote his gospel, the gospel of John, and he wrote the book of Revelation that we're gonna start looking at in the month of January. Uh, and in th that book, in, in, in Revelation 7, Jesus gives John, as he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos, they couldn't kill him, they didn't know what to do with him, so they put him to busting rocks on this island for the rest of his life. In their minds, they thought, we can take away his influence. If we can't take his life, we'll take his influence and we'll put him on an island in the middle of the ocean, busting rocks. There, Jesus appeared his best friend, he's widely known as Jesus' best friend during his earthly ministry. And Jesus appeared and gave him a vision, and he gave him a vision of that one day. And here's what it says in Revelation 7, uh, verses 9 following. He says, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's that one day, that one day when every people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, people from all over, all walks of life, the poor, the rich, the young, the old, when heaven will be filled with people who will be around the throne giving praise to the real King Jesus on that one day. That's the one day. You know, this day brings a lot of uncertainty. And, and, and the churches that are paralyzed by fear of this day, that are just trying to hang on on this day, those churches don't have many more days, but churches that are driven by that one day, that's our goal. That's what we're driving for. That's what we're living for. That's what we're existing for. That's what we give our money to, our time to, our service to. When we live for that one day, that church will thrive, folks. And Jesus in his church will prevail, and those that live for that one day will thrive. Now, over the last 10 months, as I said, man, we've, we've, we've endured a lot of questions. 
I've had pastors and I mentor several younger pastors and, and, and our staff and next for the church. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of concern. What's next? We don't know where to go. You know, there are two types of church leaders right now, really. There are those types of church leaders that are thinking, man, I just can't wait till this is over so everything can get back to normal so we can get back to doing church like we used to do it. And then there are other leaders that realize, look, normal's gone. Normal ain't coming back, folks, okay? We've got to chart new courses and we've got to see what God's up to and we've got to be willing to flow and go and change with what God is doing. And so people have been saying, what's next? And so, you know, I began to pray because I uh, love the church and, and God has made me the under shepherd of this church uh, under Jesus the shepherd. And so I, I've been praying, God, what's next? What do, you, what, what do you have for the church? What should we do? We don't want to cow in fear. We, want, we know you're in control. We know your church will prevail. We want to be obedient. What do we do? And I began to just sit, and I don't know if you've ever sat in silence before the Lord, but if you haven't, you should try that sometime. I, 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 know, I know you can do it because I, I, I do, and if I can, anybody can, because see, I got this ADD mind that goes everywhere, and so it's hard for me to sit, right? But if you sit in silence before the Lord and, and just say, Lord Jesus, speak to me. And, 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 and I was praying one day, and, and I, I began to pray. I prayed many days, and as I was praying, and I just began to sit in silence one day, and I felt the Lord say, Pat, the way forward is back. You, you, you want to know how to move the church forward. The way forward is back. And I'm like, Lord, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean? What, what does that mean, the way forward is back? And, and, I, and after a few days of just marinating and praying, I felt like the Lord say, Pat, uh, the way forward is back. In other words, don't focus on what's next. Focus on what was and you'll have your answer. Focus on what was. In other words, and I began to hear Jesus and the Holy Spirit say, Pat, you need to go back to the book of Acts, and you need to look at the principles and what I did in the book of Acts because that world was crazier than the world you live in now. The church was born in the book of Acts, and it was born in a Roman world that was much more antagonistic toward the church than the one we live in or have lived in. It, it was a crazy world. The church wasn't the friend of anyone. The church was the enemy of everyone, and that was the world the church was born into. And God said, go back and look at the book of Acts and see what I did and follow those things, and the church will thrive. And so I began to go to the book of Acts. I love that book. It's one of my favorite books because as a pastor, I love the church, and it's about the birth of the church. Right, it's, a, it's about the acts of the Holy Spirit giving birth to the church and advancing the church throughout the known world at the time. So I began to read the book of Acts and study the book of Acts. And as I studied, as I read, as I looked, God began to give me principles. And it was almost like opening a new Christmas gift every day. Man, I opened it. It was like, wow, this is amazing. And I want to share those gifts with you uh, right now. I'm, I'm not going to share all of them with you. It would be way too long because it, I stayed in the book of Acts for a while. But I want to share the ones that I think are essential for the next steps in the vision, mission, and history of LifePoint Church that God has given us for, for our church. And some of them will be very general uh, challenges to you as a believer because we're in a different age and a different time and a different day. And there'll be very challenges to you as a believer who make up as individuals the body of Christ, this church, that if you will obey, our church, uh, our church will, will thrive. So we'll start with some general principles and then we'll build up to some very specific vision that God has given us for our world. And so here's the first thing that God said, to move forward is back and to go back in the book of Acts. Here's what we see in the book of Acts. I began to see that to see people bow, the church must be bold. To see people bow, the church must be bold. Now let me, let me help you to unpack what that, what, what that means. To see people bow their knee to Jesus Christ, the church must be bold in its witness. 
The church must be bold in its witness. When you go through the book of Acts, you see a group of Christians that were not playing games with their faith. They didn't sign on a dotted line and then you didn't see them again. There was no cultural Christianity. Well, I'm a Christian because my grandmother was a Christian. I'm a Christian because my family was a Christian. I'm a Christian because that's just what we've always done. There was none of this, man, I go to church on Sunday and, on, and I don't even think about it again until next Sunday. There was, they, they didn't have a Bible. They had scrolls, but they had the Bible in their minds that they meditated on and they talked about at dinner and they talked about in their home. There was none of this playing games with your faith in the book of Acts, right? And, and, and there was no easy believism. There was no path uh, of, of, of Christianity that was just easy. Man, they had to be bold. I mean, if you look at the book of Acts, they were ran out of every town they went into. I mean, they didn't go into town. They planted churches all over the known world, but they didn't go plant a church and the, and the city go, oh, we are so glad you're here. Let's roll out the red carpet for you. Man, let's call the Chamber of Commerce and have a grand opening for you so that everybody knows because we're happy that addicts are gonna have help, that, that, that marriages are gonna be saved, that prostitutes will be called out of their profession. Man, we're so thankful for how you're gonna impact our community for good. We're, we're grateful. That wasn't what, it, what, what happened. Man, the cities hated the church. The governments hated the church. It was a threat to every institution on the planet. And so every time they would go in and preach the gospel, they would be beaten, they would be stoned and left for dead. Paul was carried outside of the city, stoned. They left him in a ditch for dead. And he got right back up and went right back into the city. That was being bold. In Acts 4, Peter and John are preaching the gospel and they are arrested for preaching the gospel. Arrested because they were preaching the gospel for goodness sake. See, in America, we really can't conceive that and that's the reality in a lot of the world today. We can't conceive that. But they were arrested for preaching the gospel. The authorities told them, don't you ever mention the name of Jesus in this city again. And you know what Peter and James did? Well, they, uh, Peter and John did? Well, they looked at each other and they said, well, you know what? We'd be better off for the kingdom alive than dead. So let's, we, we won't do that. No, that's not what they did. They said, oh, well, let's just, we'll go ahead and preach the gospel, but we'll, we, we won't, we'll keep our intentions for them, from them. We won't tell them. No, that's not what they did. When they said, don't you ever mention the name of Jesus in this city again, they said, let me tell you something. You do what you gotta do. We're gonna do what we gonna do. We're not gonna obey you. We're gonna obey God. We can't stop. We won't stop. That's what Peter and John did, and the church exploded because that was the first century Christians. That was Christians who got it. That was Christians who weren't playing games with their faith. Sadly, today, most Christians never share their faith, and we live in a time when you haven't been persecuted. We live in a time when persecution has been intimidation and ridicule at best, at most. We've not yet lived in a time when you've been arrested for sharing your faith or preaching the gospel, or you've been uh, tortured or executed. We're not there yet. But when we are, will you be bold? The early church was bold. It, it didn't matter if it cost them their money, their homes, their life. They were gonna share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, listen, we live in a different day. We live in a day uh, that is, is not your grandmama's Bible belt anymore. We, we live in a day where, where God is purifying his church, I believe, to get down to the, to, to the, to the Christians who say, I'm not playing games this is my life. I've sold everything out of my life. I, I've, I've given my life. I'm sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ and I will present Jesus. Will you be bold? If you're gonna see people bow around the throne on that day, then folks, you must be bold on this day. Will you be bold? Will you be bold? 
And then the next get, gift that, uh, that I think God gave me from the, from the book of Acts, that, from the early churches, for the church to have power, we, we must be weak. For the church to have power, we must be weak. And that doesn't seem right in our world because in our world, to accomplish anything, you need power, right? I mean, when you look at, that, when you look at the church today because of COVID, because of social political unrest, because of the upheaval, the election, because of all that thing, you, would, you, would be, you could begin to think, man, our church is very marginalized in our world today. The church is going to be marginalized. I mean, if the church really wants to make an impact in the world, we have to have political power. We have to have financial resources. We have to have a lot of money. We have to have some social clout in our world, right? It would be easy to think that, but when we look at the book of Acts, the early church had none of those things. The early church didn't have any political power. They were considered by the Roman world religio prava, which means an illegal and depraved religion. That's how the government, when they were born, considered them, an illegal and depraved religion. They had no religious, they had no political power, no religious freedom. They had no rights. They had no social status. They had no buildings. They had no financial resources. They had none of those things. It would be easy to see how this weak and marginalized group of people would just flounder and die, but this weak and marginalized people that had none of those things turned the world upside down. How did they do that? They turned the world upside down. We see in Acts 2, Peter preaches, and get this, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. And he didn't preach a, a, you know, a, a syrupy, sweet message about, oh, Jesus just loves you and he just wants to make your life so much better and give you so much blessing if you'll just give your life to him. No, his message was, you killed Jesus, the God of the universe, you nailed him to a cross. And the Holy Spirit, he preached a hard word and the Holy Spirit pierced the heart and 3,000 people got saved. If we look at the book, if we continue to read just a few chapters, there's 20,000 people now in the church in a few chapters. They're turning the world upside down. They can't do that. They have no political power. They have no religious freedom. They have, they have literally no financial resources. They don't have any buildings to meet in. How can they do this? Because they were weak, meaning it wasn't in their power. It wasn't in their ability. It wasn't in their skill set. They, they were weak in their ability, but they trusted the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's what Jesus told them. Jesus said, you wait in Jerusalem till I go back to, when I go back to heaven, you wait until Jerusalem. Don't you attempt these things in your own power. I'm passing the baton to you, church. Jesus said, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the Father. I'm passing the baton to you, but don't you attempt these things in your own power. You'll fail miserably. You wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit empowers you. And that's exactly what the disciples did, man. They holed up in Jerusalem in a, in, in, a, in a room somewhere. And on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, Jesus was crucified on Passover. So it had been several weeks. They, they had holed up there. About seven weeks later, on the day of Pentecost, man, they're in a room and they're like, what's next? We don't know what's happening. I mean, man, we don't know if we're next to be killed. We don't have any religious freedom. We don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, the sound of a rushing wind, you can read it in Acts 2, the sound of a rushing wind, mighty rushing wind that got the attention of the entire city so much that they came running. They saw tongues of fire resting on the heads of every Christian, everyone who was a believer. And it was the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus promised, invading the lives of believers because their sin had now been paid for. Jesus had died their death, redeeming them from their sin, allowing the Holy Spirit to invade their life. And he did. And when he did, he empowered them. Peter then preached. 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. 
it wasn't in their power. It was in the power of the Holy Spirit. I say that because you need to understand we can really right now look and be discouraged and we can think, man, the world is a new world as the church is marginalized. Folks, listen, it's not hopeless because the world is against us. The world has always been against the church. It's always been against the church. Matter of fact, if you go back through church history, here's what you find. If you just travel the road of church history and do a little thinking and stopping and reading and looking, here's what you find. It's in times of economic prosperity and government favor that the church declines. Isn't that crazy? You would think, man, when there's economic prosperity and you would think when the government favors the church and gives the church all kinds of freedom and you're not arrested for preaching the gospel and you can, you can share the gospel and you can have cruci- you know, uh, bring people in and have revivals and you can have preach the gospel to thousands of people and I, I'm free to share my faith with anybody. The government gives me that freedom. Man, we got economic resources. The church is gonna explode. No, that's not what happens in church history. It's when we have those things that the church gets lazy and complacent and tuckers out. And we, and we blend in with the, the society rather than, than, than being the aroma of Christ. We start to smell like the world. It's in, it's in that time when we decline. You see, it's in times of peace that the church forgets it's at war. It's in times of economic prosperity throughout history that the church begins, that, 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 man, they, that they begin to trust a good economy to provide ministry for resources rather than God's people being generous and sacrificial. We, 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 in, in times of government favor, we begin to trust government policies to change the behaviors of people rather than the Holy Spirit to changing the hearts of people. So it's in times of, of favor and economic prosperity generally that the church declines. And, and so don't, don't, don't lose hope because the world's against us. The world has always been against us. But folks, let me, let me, let me make sure you understand something. It's when we realize that we're weak and we begin to trust the power of the Holy Spirit within us that God will use you to change the world and turn it upside down. So if we want to have power, we must be weak. We must not lose hope because we can't do anything. The the disciples didn't draw all the thousands of people to hear the gospel. The the Holy Spirit did. Peter didn't save anyone. The Holy Spirit did. Peter, the the disciples didn't, didn't just plant churches that exploded all over the the known world. The Holy Spirit did. They didn't depend upon their ability. They were, as it says in Acts, untrained, unskilled men. They couldn't believe in Acts that they were turning the world upside down. That's what it says. They couldn't believe that these unskilled, untrained men were turning the world upside down. Because it wasn't them, it was the Holy Spirit. I share this because I want you to have hope. And the Holy Spirit, is, as I looked at Acts, said, look, it's easy to be dejected, but you need to understand I'm doing this, not you. You stay the course. You stay strong. You be bold. People will bow. You be weak. I'll be strong. I'll be strong. So to have power, we must be weak. And then the next thing uh, uh, that, that, that I began to really see in here is for the church to reach the nations, we must focus on our neighbors. For the church to reach the nations, we must focus on our neighbors. Let me make sure you understand something. If you've been around LifePoint any time at all, here's what you know. You know that we are passionate about the nations. We love the nations. Man, right now we've got in, in, in a room translating into Spanish, uh, uh, you know, so right now, Spanish is being translated, and as I say all the time, you pray for whoever's translating me, right? Man, we're, we're right now in plans and talking about adding a couple of more languages here because of who God's bringing. 
We've got campuses in Brussels. We've got campuses in Bangkok. We've got mission and ministry all over the world because we're passionate about the nations, because God's passionate about the nations. I mean, in Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus jetted back to heaven, here's what Jesus said. We call it the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what he told every Christian, not missionaries and pastors. Go, therefore, Christians, into all na- make disciples of all nations. That's all people groups. That's not just political geographic boundaries. That's not just America, you know, Mexico, Canada, uh, you know, Belgium. That's a, a p- p- political geographic boundaries. Uh, it is those things, but it means people groups. It means like businessmen, athletes, right? I mean, band uh, uh, the, uh, people, musicians and, and, and pocket protectors, right? I mean, it means all peoples. Go make disciples of all nations. Luke records his commission like this in Luke 1.8. We referred to it a moment ago. This is what Jesus told his disciples right before he went, while they stayed in Jerusalem. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? To the ends of the earth. All nations, to the ends of the earth. And in, in, in Revelation 7, we see this vision of, uh, that John records, and it's got, it, it, it has people around the throne from every nation, tribe, language on earth. God is passionate about the nations. He is not a tribal deity. He is a God of the nations. He created the world, and he is a God of the nations, and we're passionate about the nations. But, and, and, and what we've done is we, we've planted churches all over the world. I mean, we planted campuses all over the world. We, 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 we're, we're, we're one church in many different campuses. We've got uh, uh, Stewart's Creek and Riverdale and Smyrna, Brussels and Belgium. We're not just one church in many campuses. We're one church in many countries. And we've spent a lot of money in the past sending mission teams all over the world. And we will continue to, to send strategic people on strategic missions. We will continue to do that because we're passionate about the nations. But here's what you need to understand. In a post-COVID world, in a, in, a, in a different world, do you know how long it's been since I've been to Brussels or since I've been to Bangkok, or since I've been out of the country? Uh, it, it's been a long time because our borders have been closed. This can happen at any time. This can happen at any moment, whether it's a disease, whether a virus, or whether it's something else that our borders can be closed. And so for the future, here, here, we're gonna continue to be passionate about the nations by focusing upon our neighbors. We're gonna ask every campus and redirect even funds that we're gonna be global, but we're gonna attack local. Here's the great thing. God has sent, brought the nations to every campus of LifePoint. You go to Brussels, and there are people in Brussels, I mean, from all over the known world. It is the most cosmopolitan city, one of the most cosmopolitan cities I have ever been in. The nations are there. You go to Bangkok, the nations are all over Bangkok. You come here to, 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 to Middle Tennessee, the nations are here. They're here and we're going to never forget. We're going to send resources, and we're going to send strategic people, but we're going to redirect funds, and we're going to, we're, we're going to still be global, but we're going to attack local. We're going to attack local, and we want to, 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 to reach the refugee right here. We want to reach the homeless right here. We want to reach the addicts right here. We, we want to help single moms right here understand the gospel. And we want every campus to do that. We want to equip every member of every campus to reach their neighbor. And by doing that, we will reach the nations. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to become much more, we're, we're going to pray and send and go, but we're going to really become really focused on local and all campuses 
Because if we want to reach the nations so that the nations will be around the throne one day, we must focus on our neighbors on this day. And then now, uh, the next thing is, and this is where it gets really specific for, for LifePoint and some vision for some specific things that's getting ready to happen is, for the church to be large, we must be small. For the church to be large, we must be small. Now, uh, understand, uh, when we look at the book of Acts and you think about the early churches, what do you think? Do you think they were large church or small church? And most people think, well, man, man, they were in houses. That's small churches. It was a large, magnanimous, mega church. If people that don't like large church, you wouldn't have liked the church Jesus started in Acts. It was a large, mega church. 3,000 people. It was, most church planners, if we send a church planner out today and they have 30 people Sunday, they're like, praise Jesus. There was 3,000 people in the very first church. In just a few chapters of Acts, 20,000 people. Now, they didn't all meet together. They met in separate locations, and some of them were larger than others, and some of them were smaller than others. They met primarily in homes. They didn't have buildings, as I said. As a matter of fact, the very first church building, uh, or the, the, late, the, the earliest church building that we have discovered through archaeology dates back to 231 A.D. That means that so to this point, from what we know to this point is the church exploded and was 200 years before we ever found a building that they, was theirs. They didn't have buildings. What did they do? They met in homes. They met where they could. Mostly they met in homes. Some of them were smaller homes that would house 10, 15 people. But archaeologists have revealed and uncovered uh, homes that were owned by wealthy people. There was poor people then. There was wealthy people, just like today. Uh, archaeologists have uncovered some homes that were, given to, uh, that, that were owned by wealthy people where maybe perhaps 100, 150 people could have met in a courtyard. So th- th- these churches... We're all over. Peter and John, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 were born. The church was started. The disciples were sent out as we keep going through the book of Acts. They planted churches, and they all reported back to this Jerusalem church, right? And so there were, there were one church meeting all over the known world in locations in, uh, of, of different sizes all over the world, and I love that because, see, I love a large church myself. I, I love being a part of a large church. I, I love, I, I, I love, man, the ministries of a large church. I love the youth ministry and the children's ministry and the marriage ministry and the senior adult ministry. I love coming into a large church. And man, I love when people, when you've got a mass of people singing loud together. I love that. But I also love a small church. Man, I love preaching to a sea of faces in a large church, but I love preaching and looking in the eyes of individuals in a smaller congregation. I love being in a church so large that we can't possibly know everybody's name. Do you think Peter knew 3,000 people's name on the first, in the first church? Do you think the disciples knew 20,000 people's name? Not on your life, they didn't. I love being a part of a church where we don't know everybody's name because, man, it's growing and things are happening and it's exciting. But I also love being in a smaller, intimate environment to where I know that if you're not going to be here on Sunday, you're, the, the, we, people know it on the Thursday before Sunday because you're telling people I'm not going to be there rather than people missing and five weeks later say, well, I don't, where have they been? I, I love all of that about the church. I love larger and I love smaller. And here's my point. Large church and small church, they have incredible value in our world. And in the post-COVID world, here's what I think we can be most effective at. We can be most effective by being a large church that's very small. A large church that's very small, very similar to what we see in the book of Acts. And let me tell you how we're going to do that in three ways. Three ways. First, we're going to challenge every member of every church and pray that you understand the importance of being a part of a small group, what we call a life group or a service group. 
We want you to be involved in Sunday worship. You're commanded to be involved in Sunday worship. You know, coming to church is not an option for a Christian. I mean, it's commanded by our Lord. I mean, it's just what, it's, it's what we do. So we want you to be involved in a large gathering of believers that, that worships on Sunday morning. That's for Jesus. That's for you to magnify Jesus. And when you magnify Jesus, he does amazing things in your life. But that's not a vertical thing. That's a horizontal thing. I mean, uh, I mean that, that's, a, that's a, a vertical thing, not a horizontal thing. When I'm worshiping, it's for Jesus. But then that does things horizontally between his people. So we want you involved in Sunday morning worship, but we've got to have you broken down into smaller groups. Are you a part of a life group or a service group or a group of people that where you can be cared for and minister to? A group of people, I might not know if you're here today. There's many people today that I don't know if they're here, but somebody should know if you're not here already. That's how intimately connected we should be. Are you a part of any kind of group like that? A service group, a small group, a life group where you can be cared for, ministered to, where you can be held accountable? If not, you need to be. We need to be large by being small. That's one way. Will you please understand the importance of that? Now, the second way that we're going to do this is by, by planting churches all over the world. We are going to be a church planting church. You see, uh, what we're not gonna do, let me, let me tell you what we're not gonna do. We're not, it's COVID. It's this, it's this election cycle. Man, it's, it's all this unknown in our world. And so churches all over have a tendency right now to wanna hold on. Man, we're not gonna hold on. We're gonna let go. We want to let go and let God. You've heard that old uh, phrase. Well, we want to let go and see what God does. We want to go where God's, the Holy Spirit, the wind of God's Holy Spirit blows us and takes us. And we're going to plant churches all over the world. Now, some of those are going to be autonomous churches. We're going to identify church planters and we're going to work with resources and, and, and organizations like the North American Mission Board and other places to plant churches all over America that are autonomous. But let me make sure you understand. Most of those will be ministries of LifePoint Church connected to LifePoint Church, just like we have in the past. God has given us our Stewart's Creek campus, our Riverdale campus, our Brussels campus, our Bangkok campus, and we're going to start many more ministries of LifePoint in this day all over. We're going to start many more. We're going to ask our Brussels uh, campus to begin to be a church planting center for not just Brussels, not just Belgium, but for all of Europe. Our Bangkok campus to be a church planting center, not just for, for Bangkok or Thailand, but for all of Asia and even Southeast Asia. We wanna plant churches out of those as they focus on their neighbors all over the world. We wanna go out all over the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't wanna hang on, we wanna let go. Okay, we're gonna plant churches. Now, we're gonna plant churches here and, 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 and we're gonna plant other ministries of LifePoint and, and God's led us to do another one. God's given us the creek in Riverdale here locally and God's gonna give us another one and, and, and we feel led through all this rather than pulling back and slowing down and hitting the brakes and hanging on. Man, we need to turn, turn loose and be all gas. And so what we're gonna do is we feel God leading us to plant another campus in the Arrington area. Okay, now... We've got a lot of folks in that Arrington, Arrington area, that in the Williamson County area. And so, so we're going we're gonna to plant a, a campus in that Arrington area. And listen, it's exploding. I don't know if you know this. If you've not driven out there lately, man, as I've been driving through there, I was just driving through the neighborhood the other day. And, and uh, you know, the, 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 we got a family that, that you probably heard them a minute ago. Uh, Woohoo! That uh, I was driving through the neighborhood. And I, man, we just called and said, hey, we're coming in for dinner. And we, I didn't say we're coming in for dinner. But we stopped and said, hey. And, man, if you've not driven through Arrington lately, you've got to drive through Arrington. It's crazy. There's new neighborhoods everywhere out there. And there's just not enough churches out there to reach the growing population. 
And so we're gonna, we're gonna send and we're gonna, we're gonna open up in the first quarter, a campus in Arrington. And man, we're working on a place right now. I'm, I can't tell you the place because it's not finalized. I tell you the place and it falls through. But God's gonna give us that place, you know, right? And so, so we're working on a place, but we're gonna, we're gonna start out there after the first year and we've identified our, our campus pastor for out there and our campus pastor for our Arrington campus is gonna be Matt Stout. So when you heard Matt preach last week that was strategic, I was aching to preach that message, but it was very strategic. I wanted you to see how Matt has grown. Matt grew up in this church. He grew up in this church. He was a snot-nosed brat kid is what he was. I'm just telling you, if you knew him, then you know he was. You didn't look at Matt and say, oh, he's going to be a preacher boy one day. You said, I want to kill that boy today. Uh, You know, I mean, that, that was Matt, and God did some great things. He had youth pastors because you gave. We were able to hire youth pastors that preached and poured into him. He had small group leaders because you served. He talked about, he talked about uh, uh, Steve Meadows, you know, incredible guy in our church. And he's moved away now, and I, I hate that. I, I mean, but, but, uh, I mean, but he's still serving the Lord. I know that. He poured into Matt because you served. And Matt grew up, and he heard the gospel over and over. The seeds took root in college, and he gave his life to the Lord. We've hired him. He's been on our staff for nine years now. Uh, we've trained him. Last year, I met with him when I come back off of sabbatical, and I said, Matt, you're not ready yet. Hang on. You keep doing the things that, that we're telling you to do. And all the way, Matt said, yes, sir. If I'm not ready, I'm not ready. You tell me when I'm ready. And God's molded him, and God's used him, and I'm excited to say, Matt. Now, I know that the people at Stewart's Creek are going, because, <gasps> you know, he's their student pastor there. He's associate pastor, and Matt's still going to continue to be the student pastor there for the foreseeable future until it gets to the point to where he can't, and I hope it's soon, but for the foreseeable future. And, and, and we're not going to do it like we've done in the past. We're not going to send two or 300 people. We've sent two or 300 people out of this campus. You see, when you look at this campus, we've sent like 200 to 250 people twice out of this campus to go start Riverdale and Stewart's Creek. And, and so, so we're, we're going to send most of the people from the creek because they're over full. They need the space. They're out of space. They've got three services, and they're out of space. And we're going to send about 30 to 50 folks mainly from, from that campus, and then we really feel like that it'll explode. And, man, we're, we're, we're pumped about what God is doing there. But that's the next. What's next after that? I don't know, but we're not going to be break. We're going to be gas because we want to see many people around the throne that one day. And so we're going to plant churches on this day. Right? Now, what's the third way? The third way is, is we're going to start what many people in our world call house churches. Perhaps you've heard of that. Perhaps you've been a part of a house church, and it was a horrible experience for you. Because you see, they haven't really worked in America, per se, on a large scale. Now, there have been some, but they've really been strong in places like China. You know, in places like China, and I've preached in house churches and underground churches. You know, it's illegal in China to be a Christian, to be a church. And so the church is called underground. In other words, it hides. And I've been there, man. I've had to go in at night and I've had to come in through uh, past secret passageways. Literally, it's, 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 it's an experience. And I've had to come in at night and it takes two to three hours for everybody to get there because everybody can't come at once. You can't pull in a parking lot like you did. People say, what's going on over there? So you have to come in one at a time over about two or three hours. And they eat together and they fellowship and then they preach and they don't care how long you preach. You think about that right now. They don't care how long you preach. Okay? They don't care how long you preach. And you preach, and I've done that. It's an underground church. They're exploding and they're wonderful. The problem is they don't have, they don't have trained leadership, and so it's, it's, it, it, we, need to, we need to help train their pastors, right? And we want to do that as well. But the underground church in America has really not taken off yet, and here's the reason. And it's never been on a large scale successful, and here's the reason, because most of those have been started out of a rebellion against organized church. 
Most of those have been started because people don't like the church. They don't like organized church. They don't like people telling them what they should do. They don't like, you know, it, it amazes me that the, that the young folks, now I get a little cynical, that they don't like all of the, 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 the they don't like the, the, the organized church and the institution. They don't like what the church is spending their money on. And they talk about that around Starbucks, around their $5 latte. <laughs> you know, but... It's, been, it's mainly been a rebellion against the church. Things that are rebellion against the church will not go because the church is the bride of Jesus. Okay, this is not a rebellion. It's gonna be in author, under the authority of the church. I'm gonna be honest with you. I wanna be where they don't know we are, to be honest. I, I wanna be where they don't know we are. I, we want you to be in a small group because if something were to happen and we couldn't meet on Sunday like happened this year for, for, for a while, you could get together in your life groups and, 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 and worship together in your life group. T- tune in online because, you know, we'll, we'll be here online if that were to ever happen. And you've got a community that you're cared for. You're challenged. You, you, house churches, some of those, what's the difference in a house church and a life group? Well, in a, in a, in a life group, they're here. They'll be here on Sunday. Uh, 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 one of these house communities, they'll meet, they'll be there in their home. They'll meet in their home on Sunday. Some of, their, some of them will have a pastor that will preach. Some of them will have a pastor that will be a shepherd, and you'll tune in online to worship. But you'll be held accountable by that pastor. You'll be cared for by that pastor. And it'll be in, 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 with an attempt to reach your neighbors, you reach your community, to reach your family. Now, we're not going to roll out a bunch of these next year. We might roll out two, right? We're going to start slow, but we eventually want to have communities of life point all over Middle Tennessee. We want to be where they don't know we are. We want to be where the seeds of the gospel are planted all over the, the soil uh, of Middle Tennessee and all over the world so that one day there's going to be people from all nations, tribes, and languages around the throne. One day. Now, the final thing that I want to talk about, the final thing that I want to talk about is to accomplish this is going to, you know, it's not going to be free, right? So for the church to be rich, we must be generous. And when I talk about rich, man, I want to be rich, don't you? Now, I'm not talking about rich financially. I mean, I wouldn't mind it, okay? But I'm not going to start a ministry where I go on TV and tell you if you'll send me your Benjamins, man, God will just rain money on you. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. You know, I, I want to be rich in my soul. I want to be rich in my soul. People who are rich financially, there's nothing wrong with being rich financially. You can buy a lot of things that fade, but people who are rich in their soul can have things money can't buy and they'd never fade away. I want to be rich in my soul. I want you to be rich in your soul. I want the church to be rich in good works. And to be rich in good works, we must be generous. Look at what Paul told his young protege, Timothy. He says, as for the rich in this present age. Now, you know who he's talking to? He's talking to you and he's talking to me. You say, well, you don't know me, Pat. I've lost my job and I'm not rich. If you live on welfare in America, you're richer than the world. Because the world lives on about $2 a day. If you're a teenager with a job at McDonald's, you're richer than most of the world. Do you know that? So who's he talking to? I'll let you decide that. Uh, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do you know what you have God gave you? He gives us different amounts. He's given you a different bank account than he's given me, different home than he's given me, different car than he's given me, but he gives us it all to enjoy. It's not just he gives it to us so that we can just, he gives it to enjoy. He gives me my money to to enjoy so I can take my wife out to eat, my family on vacation, so I can buy them clothes and, 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 and go out and enjoy, right? I mean, he gives it to enjoy after we honor him with it. And so look at what he says. They are to do good to the rich, 
You've been given stuff to do good, to be rich in good works. And how you be rich in good works? You have to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You want to live truly life? You want to live true life? I mean, man, you don't want to just exist. You want a true life? True life is not just getting everything you can. It's, 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 it's having a heart of giving. It's being generous. It's being generous. That's what we see in the book of Acts, isn't it? In the book of Acts, man, they were selling what they had to help people out. They didn't hold on. They were selling what they had to help people out. To be rich in good works, we must be generous. We must be generous. This is going to cost money. And so in the past, here's what we've done. We've asked you to give every year to our one-day offering. We took up what we call the one-day offering at Easter and at Christmas. We ask you to give one day of your salary and to support mission work around the world. And that, most of that went to our international campuses to present the gospel. And uh, some of it went here for like backpacks for kids to take home from school for the weekend food, all that. But most of it went to our international campuses for mission work. And we didn't do that in 2019. We didn't do that last year because what we asked you to do was to do the 784 campaign so that we could build our, our children preschool facility. And you came through so faithfully, we didn't have to borrow a dime to do that. All right. But we haven't done that, but we're going to go back to our one day and we're going to ask you to make this vision a reality to give to our one day offering. Now we're going to change it up. We're no longer asking you to give one day of your salary. All right. We're no longer asking you to give one day of your salary. Uh, man, we don't even want you to stop there. Here's what we want to do. We want to raise $1 million, $1 million U.S. dollars, if you're around the world, over the next four years so that people from every tribe, nation, and language can be around the throne on that one day. $1 million over the next four years for that one day. Will you give? Now, you might, you might say, man, I, how much can I give to that? I want to give $1,200 this year. I'm, I'll give $100 a month. You can give, we're going to collect it all year. You can give $50 a month. You can give it one time. I don't care, but what will you give so that we can plant churches? And now it's not just going to international. We're going to use it to plant churches all over the world. What will you give to plant churches so that people can hear the gospel from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue so that they can be around the throne that one day? Will you give to our one day offering? Not just one day of your salary, but that one day around the throne. Now, let me back up for a moment and let me ask you before you do that, let me ask you, do you tithe? Because you see, if you don't tithe, I want you to start there. Now, when you start talking about tithing, people's like, I know, here pre preacher goes, he's talking about tithing. I can talk about tithing, and it used to, as a young preacher, I always hated talking about tithing. I hated it because I'm a young preacher. I gotta talk about money, and I don't, I don't really hate it anymore because the older I get, it's not that I don't really care, I mean, in some ways, but, but I, I, the older I get, here's what I know. I'm not, I didn't come up with this. I didn't come up with this plan, right? I, I mean, it, I'm not asking you to tithe because... I've got a great idea, staff. Let's get the church to give 10% of their money. No, that was God's plan. This was God's idea. It was God's command. I'm not asking you for me. I'm asking you for, for you to be obedient to God because all through scripture, he talks about the tithe. He calls it the first fruit, actually. He gives you your money to enjoy, but he, he, but he, he doesn't need your money. He's not saying tithe because I, God needs some money. God has your money. It's all his. He'll take it if he wants it, okay? It's all his, he wants your money to prove he's got your heart. And I guarantee you, if he doesn't have your money, he doesn't have your heart. That's what the scripture says, right? That's what the scripture says. And so, so do you tithe? And if you don't tithe, somebody say, I, I can't afford to tithe, Pat. You, no, I, it's not that, 
it's not an income issue, it's always an outgo issue. And if you don't think you can afford to tithe, then what I would ask you to do is to come in and make an appointment, talk with Nathaniel Hale. Nathaniel Hale, he is our financial administrator. He's one of my executive pastors. He used to work for Dave Ramsey. He's really sharp at this stuff. That's, and he is oversees all of our finances. He can walk through your budget with you and help you to understand how you can't afford not to. And he can walk through your budget with you. And so I would ask you, do you tithe? And if you don't, you start there. You start there. And if you do, then think about, pray about, talk up with your family about giving to our one-day offering so we can plant churches all over the world. Man, wasn't it absolutely? Now, you can do that. Let me, let me back up and say, you can, how, how do you tithe? Somebody say, how do we tithe? Well, uh, you know, Amy and I tithe online. I mean, we set it up to where, you know, it, it comes out automatically because I make a, a salary. You know, I make a salary, and my salary's consistent. If your salary's consistent, I would ask you, Man, set it up recurring, okay? You can do that at lifepointchurch.org or lifept.org slash give. LifePT or LifePointChurch, either one of those, we have both those domains, LifePT or LifePointChurch.org slash give, and it'll walk you through the process. And if you make a consistent hour, I'd say, man, figure it up 10%, thank the Lord for it, and, and have it coming out every, every week or every month or how often you get paid, recurring. That, we do that, it comes out automatically as a first fruits issue. It comes out before anything else. And... We pray about it, it's a, we, we thank the Lord for it, it comes out, it's consistent for me, it's consistent for you. If I'm gone, it still comes out, it's consistent for the church. And in this crazy world where people, some, some people can't come to church and all this kind of stuff, man, you can do it online. So that's one way of doing it. You can give through our app. Uh, you, can, you can give if you're, you know, have a, a, a salary that is inconsistent because of maybe you make a commissions or things, things like that. You can give, you know, the old-fashioned way with a check, or you can still give online each week. But if you want to give the old-fashioned way, you can put it in the boxes. However, we just want you to obey, okay? And so, so that, that's how you do that. Now, as, as, we, as we look at, 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 at tithing and giving, I, I want to point back to, to the baptism video that we saw. You know, we saw a video today of, now you saw 50 people baptized today. 50 people since COVID, which is crazy, which is amazing. You saw 50 people baptized. What an appropriate song we were singing. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let me ask you something. I, I, wanna, I wanna close this out by, by, by saying, man, we are in a crazy, crazy world. Man, we're in a crazy world, a lot of uncertainty, but one thing is certain, Jesus Christ is the real king. One thing is certain, he's still on his throne. One thing is certain, he's still in charge. One thing is certain, his church will prevail. His church, not all churches, but his church. And I wanna be one of those churches that thrive, not just survive, but thrive. And those churches will be the churches that are not bound in fear by this one day of everything that's going on, but those churches that are driven by that one day. That one day when there'll be people from every tribe, every nation, every language that are bowing around the throne worshiping King Jesus. Will you be there on that one day? There'll be thousands and millions. It says a multitude that nobody can count will be there. Will you be? Well, uh, you know, there'll be people from every tribe, nation, language. But let me ask you something. Will your dad be? Will your mom be? That's what we're shooting for. To see your mom bow, you must be bold. To see your neighbor bow, you must be bold. To see your granddaughter, your grandson bow, you must be bold. We must live for things that are certain. We don't wanna live for things right now that are uncertain and things that fade away and, and, and fly away and cause us to have stress. We wanna live for the only sure thing in this world and that's Jesus Christ. And I wanna give to the only thing that will last forever and that's people in the church.
So one day, one day, there'll be people from every tribe, nation, and language around that throne. And they will be there because so many Christians were faithful on this day. So many Christians were bold on this day. So many Christians were committed on this day. And so many Christians were generous on this day. Will that be you? Will that be you? Man, let's make a commitment on this day for one day. Let's not be be absolutely just paralyzed by fear on this day because we know where we're going to be on that one day. And let that change how we live on this day. Will you, will you do what it takes to make sure heaven is filled on that one day? Will you live in light of that one day on this day? Let's pray together, can we? Father, we love you so much. And God, I'm just, God, I'm excited about the future. I know that there's so many unknowns and I know that we're still struggling as a a people and as a nation. And God, we see COVID do this and we hear this all the time. And God, we just see so many stuff. We don't know what to believe. And God, there's just so much. But God, we do know who we can believe. Your word is the only true source of information, it seems, in our world today. God, it's your word. It's you. You are truth. And God, you are the eternal God. You are on your throne. You are the real king. You are the king that we can trust. You're always reigning and ruling, not for your own benefit, but for your glory and God, for your people. And I pray that your people would submit as your subjects to your kingdom. And we would know that giving our lives to you creates this clash of kingdoms. And God, I pray that we would be and make our allegiance to you and you alone over any other flag, over any other allegiance is to Jesus Christ alone. And God, when we do that, I pray that we would have our commitment for that one day, that we would be driven by that one day so much that this day is impacted, that this day our lives are changed this day, that what we spend our money on today changes, that what we dream today changes, that our conversations today changes, that how we treat our wives and our kids change, that when we go to work tomorrow, we know we're not just going to work to sell to sell something or to build something or to teach something or, or, or Lord, to manufacture something. We're going to work tomorrow to build God's kingdom, to allow the Holy Spirit to build it through us on this day so that many people will be around the throne on that day. Help us to be driven, God, driven by that one day and help it to change everything on this day. Help us to be bold on this day. Help us to be weak on this day so that we can rely on your power in this day. God, I pray, God, that you would do large things through us on this day. I pray that we would be bold, we would be committed, we would be generous on this day so many people would be around your throne on that day. Help us to live for what's real in a world that's fake. Help us to to plant our feet on the firm foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God in, in a day when there is nothing that is solid except the word of God. Help us, God, to be committed to you. The time for playing games is over for Christians. God, I pray that, that Christians, I know they're not going to be perfect. I know we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to always get it right. But God, I pray the day of playing games is over. And we say, I cast my lot. I give my life, my money, my home, and even my physical life if necessary for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that Christians today would make that commitment so that one day, there will be people, their, their husbands and their wives, not just from every tribe, nation, and language, but from their home would be around your throne, worshiping you, glorifying the real king on that day. In Jesus' name, amen.